I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello and welcome to today's episode of In AI We Trust. Today we are fortunate to have two special guests from the Government Accountability Office, Taka Ariga and Steven Sanford, who recently released a significant development in the AI world, a report entitled Artificial Intelligence, an Accountability Framework for Federal Agencies and Other Entities. Taka Ariga is the GAO's first Chief Data Scientist and Director of the Innovation Lab. He helps the GAO develop and implement advanced analytical capabilities for its auditing practices. Prior to joining GAO, he held executive positions at Deloitte, Ernst & Young, and Booz Allen Hamilton. He will make you feel like a slacker. He is natively fluent in both Japanese and Mandarin, in his spare time a serious amateur classical chamber musician performing around the DC area, and a competitive tennis player. And as a non-competitive tennis player, I can tell you I'm officially jealous of any of or all of those accolades. Stephen Stanford also has a significant position as managing director in the GAO's strategic planning and external liaison team. He helps the GAO strategically plan for the future, lead external relations with domestic and international accountability partners, and drive agency-wide innovation and transformation. He also oversees the activities of the GAO Center for Audit Excellence and is director of GAO's Center for Strategic Foresight and has received several awards for his service at the GAO. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Miriam. Thanks, Miriam. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, let's start right with the news of the summer, the report that you all recently released. The GAO recently released a much-anticipated AI report we mentioned, which was an effort to oversee how agencies are implementing this emerging technology. It's such an important endeavor. I think we often talk about on the show, and many of us are familiar with the fact that AI is being used and created throughout industry. We're not thinking about the millions of people using it throughout the federal government. And so this framework is really significant and exciting uh, to help both those using it within government, but uh, we'll explore possibly and likely those outside of government as well. The framework describes key practices across four parts of the development lifecycle, governance, data, performance, and monitoring. So please tell us, what prompted the GAO to develop an AI accountability framework? What were you aiming to achieve? Who's the intended audience? And what are you not trying to solve with this tool? Yeah, I mean, for GAO, we've always tried to have a prospective and forward-looking view around emerging technologies. You know, from our perspective, time to figure out how to address these accountability challenges is not when we receive congressional requests or when, when something goes wrong. So for, for a, a you know, couple of years, GAO has been doing a number of AI-related, not only oversight work, but also insight and foresight work. Um, and most recently, a, a number of technology assessment on AI's uh, application in healthcare industry and sort of forensic algorithm law enforcement context. Uh, but as we were scanning across the ecosystem of accountable AI conversations, what we were seeing are essentially a set of very high level ideals. Uh, how AI should perform, you know, uh, accurately, effectively, for sure, but also how AI should be free of biases, should be ethical, should be transparent. Um, but 
there were sort of an altitude challenge, right? Um, those, these are really high level ideals that not, didn't necessarily correlate to the day-to-day -day practices uh, for data scientists or for even program managers. So we saw a gap um, in the conversation in terms of how we can actually achieve accountable AI. And, and from our perspective, we think taking an auditor's view on this topic is super helpful. Uh, so this is why we embark on the journey of developing in this uh, sort of AI accountability framework. And our goal is to make sure that we are laying out this set of practices, questions, and most importantly, sort of audit procedure for a third party like GAO that are able to walk in and independently verify across the life cycle development of artificial intelligence. So whether that's the initial governance section, whether that's around data, around performance, but I think even more importantly around the idea of continuous monitoring, how do we sort of independently and empirically verify that you know, performance are in fact aligned with the initial objective, uh, that data and performance are uh, sort of executed in a way that are intended to align with the values of the public sector agencies. Um, and then how do we instill the notion of continuous monitoring so it's not just set it and forget it type of deployments. Uh, so we're quite proud of this very collaborative effort uh, with Steve and, and other parts of GAO uh, in pushing this out. We think the timing is absolutely on spot given the number of AI driven legislation that are coming out given uh, a number of major initiatives that are being pushed out across various parts of uh, the government organization. Uh, so I think having this conversation with an oversight perspective in mind is, is really timely. And uh, Miriam, I, I would add to that, you know, stepping back and, and looking at the big picture, uh, you know, GAO's overall mission of providing independent fact-based and nonpartisan analysis for the Congress is, uh, very important role, especially when it comes to AI. And I think we had identified a, a gap in terms of uh, uh, having a framework in the federal space to actually be able to evaluate uh, to what extent accountability exists for AI and to have that toolkit available, not only for GAO, but also others in the federal um, oversight space, such as inspectors general, and even uh, at the state and local uh, level where AI might be deployed in uh, uh, government uh, uh, operations at that level. So we definitely saw a gap in a place where we could um, help fill that gap by providing this framework. And it's a framework that's very much um, practical and meant to be used in the field. It's, it's directed to people who are not necessarily technical experts in AI, but are charged to uh, provide oversight for those systems. And it's also going to be useful for um, management because they're going to understand by looking at this framework how external third-party evaluators of these systems and how they were procured and developed and maintained, they're going to see how those uh, processes will be evaluated uh, by those third parties in the future. So much to unpack there and, and really an important piece of work and, and, and kind of direction of travel for, for both the government, but I think also the broader AI ecosystem. Uh, I think one thing that we've seen is a proliferation of principles around responsible and ethical use of AI. As you mentioned, Taka, um, you know, we've actually counted hundreds of them uh, from companies, from governments, from industry groups, from civil society groups. Uh, and what has often been missing is this question of how do you actually operationalize those principles in 
product design, organizational processes, audit, review, etc. And so seeing you take this concrete step in that direction and give this specificity and guidance uh, is, I think, really fantastic news. Uh, I want to ask, you know, a little bit about the kind of um, the application of, of, of the work that you've done. Uh, one thing that I liked about the framework is that you provide a lot of examples to clearly illustrate application. Uh, and I'm curious to hear uh, what cases have you applied the framework in across government so far and what application areas and, and, and focus areas do you anticipate prioritizing in the, in the months ahead? Yeah, great question. And one of the GEO's unique mission is that we have a pan-governmental overview, right? So we don't just deal with national defense. We don't just deal with financial services. We don't just deal with health. Um, so we had this AI oversight, you know, accountability framework in mind for the whole of government. Uh, that being said, you know, timing is everything. There's been certainly a number of GAO mission team that have started assessments of AI. So this actually, I think, provided a nice roadmap for them to follow. There are certainly other mission teams that are in the process of designing and starting uh, uh, audit engagements around implementations of AI. Um, and so I think, you know, more and more internal to GAO, we're looking for our own auditors to adapt this type of model, uh, which really does spell out criteria and how we assess each part of the AI lifecycle. But more broadly speaking, you know, Stephen uh, alluded to the inspector general community. Um, each agency have their own IG and have purview around implementation inside that agency. Um, so for us, it's not necessarily a matter of prioritizing, but making sure that we're level setting Right, this uh, AI accountability framework takes that altitude from, let's say, a 50,000 foot level down to a 5,000 foot level, but it's not necessarily so prescriptive that we say, you know, follow these 12 step checkbox and your AI system will be okay. Uh, instead, what we're saying is there are facts and circumstances specific calibration to the kind of procedure and questions and, and practices that we laid out. So for example, uh, transparency requirement for a self-driving car is very different than let's say a healthcare screening or even a candidate screening applications of AI. Uh, for a self-driving car, I don't necessarily need to know why a car is taking a right turn or left turn as long as I get to that destination safely. But if you're telling me based on my MRI scan, I may have some anomalous region. Yes, I absolutely want to know how the algorithm arrived at that decision. Uh, so depending, depending on the uh, implementation of that system, there are different sort of nuances, there are different use cases, there are different calibration of those ingredients that go into that recipe, if you will. Um, so our goal, you know, in sort of as we continue to move forward on uh, sort of oversight of AI system is to further to push that altitude down to maybe use case specific or even domain specific application. Uh, so for now, we're in the, in, in the realm of making sure that um, the, at least federal sector entities are aware of this AI accountability framework, can use them accordingly. And then in sort of a next iteration, you know, version 2.0, version 3.0, it's really then start taking a more nuanced approach to individual sector, individual domain, individual applications. And Mark, just to uh, add, um, a lot of the uh, emphasis so far uh, in terms of the work Congress has asked us to do on artificial intelligence has centered on um, healthcare and also some applications and, and uh, uh, 
uh, law enforcement, such as facial recognition technology. Uh, but back in 2018, when we did our first uh, tech assessment on artificial intelligence uh, at GAO, uh, we identified four areas of, uh, of significant impact that AI could have um, in the future, and that related indeed to criminal justice, to financial services, transportation, as well as um, cybersecurity. So there um, are no shortage of areas that have uh, high consequence uh, impact uh, on, on the lives of, uh, and, and welfare of, of, of people across the country. And as a service uh, agency to the Congress, as those requests come from Congress asking us to look at other um, applications of AI through the federal government, we'll certainly be using this framework uh, on, on those types of uh, engagements as they come in. Um, still fairly early days because the framework only came out a few weeks ago. And uh, so as we build uh, future work on, on AI, we'll certainly be included in, in that process. Yeah, and I'll just add, there's an element of coordination across the ecosystem of accountable AI players as well, right? So uh, we didn't want to necessarily develop a framework that is out in the left field. It's sort of GAO proprietary, if you will. Um, we certainly took a look at what OECD had to say and took a look at what DNI had to say, what White House, what Jake, and what many other organizations had to say, including our UK colleagues or Canadian colleagues. And what we wanted to do was create a complementary framework with language that are familiar, concepts that are familiar to not only, let's say, data scientists, but certainly to the auditors. We use language that are from our government, uh, generally accepted government auditing standards. Um, and so this is, we, we really try to uh, work really hard to develop a, a, an accountability framework that are familiar and can co-evolve as the technology itself is advancing. Uh, so one of the way that we articulate uh, a definition of AI is really rely on characteristics of AI, not necessarily um, <clears throat> sort of a definitional battle that, you know, if you ask 10 data scientists, you'll get 50 different answers, right? So um, I think we're still very much early on in what DARPA calls a uh, sort of a wave two of AI. Uh, but you know, it's so important for us to get this accountability question right before some of the cognition-ready, you know, reasoning-capable type of AI solutions come online. And, and even as you know, Stephen was alluded, cybersecurity application. There's a lot of fragility in the current generation of machine learning models. So how do we evaluate them, make sure that the, the development cycle, the deployment cycle, the monitoring cycles are all done with good intention and, and sound rationale behind it so that there is some level of assurance around the performance, but also on the potential societal impacts of that deployment. It's really fascinating to hear about some of the thoughts you all brought and concerns uh, in your vantage point as to what you are tackling here. I think if someone looks at the document, it's so well thought out and planned, it looks very straightforward. Um, but when you're really clarifying the nuances involved, the, the huge variety of use cases, both in ways that, that AI will be used uh, and, and the consequence of, of that AI use. Um, it's clear that th there must have been so much work in this impressive work product. Uh, so one thing I'm curious about is there are some known best practices and there are others that are less known and or less generally accepted. For instance, uh, we know that with AI, you have to have constant monitoring and repeating of your checks, whatever your checks are that you establish because the AI will repeatedly iterate. 
we know that the more diversity of perspective you have in the creation and, and throughout the AI lifecycle, the better your AI will perform uh, and the less surprise harms uh, will come about. I'm curious, what were some of the aspects of this creation that were slam dunk, easy to clarify, write down and, and just move along, and which of them were really more thorny, complicated and, and provoked more debate before they were resolved and written down? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, the mechanics of how we arrive at this accountability framework has certainly been um, blood, <coughs> blood, sweat and tear of, of a lot of folks here at GAO. Um, we started uh, with inviting a set of really uh, cross-sectoral experts, and we really wanted a diverse conversations, uh, whether those are folks from the academia, from the federal agency, from the oversight body, uh, from nonprofit advocacy group, et cetera, to really have a robust conversations around criteria, around methodology, around consequences of perhaps not doing you know, certain aspects of the AI oversight. Uh, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the conversation was wide ranging. So it really took us a long time to try to coalesce it in a way that is linear, logical, and, and easy to follow. Um, to your question around what was sort of the obvious point that uh, there was sort of strong level of agreement. One was the notion of uh, should the government think about AI specific regulation or might there be existing statute that could be adapted? So for example, you know, 1964 Civil Rights Act, right? It does codify a certain provision in there around equity. Um, so do we actually need to establish a AI specific construct around equity or might that actually end up creating more unintended consequences downstream? So that was a good example of that. And I think generally most uh, expert panel lean on uh, use existing statutory authority and create sort of um, complementary and augmentation a regulatory framework as opposed to something that's a you know, wholesale replacement of what's already on the books. Uh, something that was a little bit surprising uh, was this notion that accountable AI, you know, we, we talk about it a lot, but it may not necessarily be a universally accepted construct, especially if you look at how the data scientists are trained in the academic setting. It's mostly around accuracy, performance, use the ever more exotic mathematical techniques to get that, you know, a tenth of a degree when it comes to accuracy. Um, it, it's really only recently that the responsibilities around biases, around transparency, explainability are now being placed on data science. So there's very much of a debate is of what is the role of a data scientist? Is it to reflect the data as they see it? Or is it to reflect the data as the world that we wish we lived in? Um, so this is why, you know, we put a, a very strong emphasis at treating AI accountability as a team sport, not a, you know, data scientist must do it all type of uh, sort of single point of failure. Um, so that was a bit of um, uh, surprising to us is that, you know, it's very comfortable to live in this echo chamber of accountable AI, but we still need to recognize that may not be a universally adopted construct, especially in some of the academic settings. So how do we continue to promulgate the kind of training, the kind of messaging that is critical, uh, not only for the technical folks, but certainly for the ecosystem of players that needs to be empowered to have a conversation in this uh, discussion around accountable AI. Miriam, I would, I would add to that. Um, I think one of the richest areas of exploration we had in this project was 
uh, putting particular questions to experts that maybe hadn't been asked before. And when the Comptroller General um, back in 2020 assembled uh, the expert panel uh, with, a, with a, uh, a forum to bring input into this project, we had representatives from academia, um, industry, uh, government, uh, multi-sector uh, representation. We put the question to that group, what questions should uh, evaluators or auditors be asking when they're looking at these systems? Or what evidence should they be looking for? Or what documentation should they be asking for? And that kind of shifted the frame a bit. So we were, you know, to get back to what Mark was saying earlier too, we were moving a little bit away from principles and more into the space of action. And, and actually putting that type of question to folks in terms of what are the concrete actions that should happen uh, in order to give evaluators the tools they need to look at AI in a, a, a really thorough way and a sustainable way and that, and that will um, uh, strengthen the overall accountability of those systems. Uh, for example, uh, there's no shortage of discussion about stakeholders and needing to have lots of stakeholders at the table. But one of the concrete things that came out of the discussion was around uh, to what extent have processes from the developers of AI, you know, have they been transparent to the stakeholders and asking that question, looking for evidence of that. So uh, the way we structured those questions and, and the sorts of information we got from our experts, uh, I think really uh, opened up some um, new avenues that the framework covers that uh, more general principles aren't necessarily getting at. That's that's really interesting, and 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 there's so much there uh, that I, I'd love to dive into in, in further questions. One thing I want to go back to though is, is something you mentioned, Taka, around the uh, engagement that you all did as you were putting together this work with counterparts and colleagues around the world. Obviously, the GAO has a national mandate, a domestic mandate uh, within the United States. But one thing that's very interesting, of course, is that. AI and many of the companies that are developing and using AI uh, at, a, at, a, at a large scale are, are global. Some of those companies are based in the US, some of them are based elsewhere. Many of them are operating across a lot of different jurisdictions. So I'm curious how you all think through the relationship between the work that you do at GAO and the domestic kind of focus that you have and the global development of these technologies, as well as ecosystems of governance that cross those national barriers. So curious, you know, how you approach your engagement with other countries and, and kind of what you think is needed at that multilateral international level to ensure that there's interoperability and, um, and, and, and kind of some degree of consistency and robustness across these different, um, these different borders. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, GAO certainly is a part of the international audit organization ecosystem, you know, both at the um, sort of regional level, but certainly, you know, whether we're talking about discussion with our Singapore colleague or UK colleague or Canadian colleagues, one thing that we really wanted to sort of make sure that we are incorporating as we were developing the framework were 
Were there any lessons learned from those countries that embarked on those efforts? So I'll, I'll reference our Canadian colleagues. For example, um, they've actually established a very interesting, almost market-driven model towards AI oversight. Uh, and they were very generous in sharing with us what has worked, but more importantly, what has not worked. Um, obviously, you know, you know, from from jail perspective, we don't necessarily think copy and pasting what has worked or not worked from any number of country would necessarily work here. Uh, but we're very mindful that this is a, a, a evolution process, right? Again, going back to the notion that we wanted to develop a accountability framework that was complementary to the evolving conversation. Uh, so when we talk to with OECD, when we talk with UK, um, the, a lot of sort of conversation focused around how did you sort of develop this methodologically? You know, how did you empower your workforce? Tell us some of the details in terms of how you actually implemented aspects of accountable AI. Um, and then now that our AI accountability framework is published, we're in turn having those conversations back to our colleagues, most recently with our UK colleagues, uh, just, you know, again, sharing that lessons back to say, this is how we are thinking of working across ecosystem of IGs and other agency and, and frankly, industry partner to really uh, promote this conversation. And now it's, it's, so it's very much a symbiotic relationship. Um, we, we don't want to make sure that we want to make sure that we're not sort of um, just, you know, standing on our soapbox uh, from a U.S. perspective, uh, to your point, you know, we, we now operate in a global environment, even the federal government, right? Many agencies have international presence. And, and, and many of those missions are very much forward-looking on the edge type of computational environments. Uh, DOD is a good example of that, even FDA, even our Homeland Security colleagues. Uh, so we want to make sure that, you know, as these uh, AI capabilities continue to proliferate, that there are not just pockets of conversation, that there are well-coordinated discussion, uh, because at the end of the day, that's, only the, that's the only way that we can ensure accountability across the, the life cycle of AI development, whether that's done here or internationally. I, th I think what's also notable, Mark, is you look at the uh, content, you know, the specifics of the practices in GAO's um, AI accountability framework. They're written in a way that is quite universal, right? They don't assume, the practices themselves don't assume any particular regulatory environment. Uh, rather, it's a set of questions that uh, auditors, people evaluating these systems can use with uh, whatever context they find themselves in. And I think that's part of the power of, of what's been put together here is that uh, in some way it's, it's, it's policy agnostic. It's just getting at, at some of the core questions that are universal to AI and um, gives uh, a, a toolkit that can be applied, whether it's different levels of, of government in the U.S., you know, state and local or federal, or across the world. So uh, that, that's something that I thought was um, uh, pretty remarkable and something the team had, had spent a lot of time on was not to create a framework that was too narrowly confined within one particular uh, uh, policy space, but, but has broader, more universal applicability. Yeah, and I think GDPR is a good example of that, right? How GDPR has now spurred the conversation of privacy here in the United States. We're, we're hoping for something similar because the way that we structure the framework, we can perhaps have influence to our European colleagues or to our colleagues in parts of Asia to 
you know, help them think through how we put together the framework and how MITO's framework apply in their setting, in their regulatory framework, uh, but do so in a way that there is the conversation of accountable AI all, all across the world. So it's not just an isolated set of discussions. And in reading through the framework, I think it's pretty clear that it not only seems policy regulatory agnostic, in some ways it seems industry agnostic. I think there are so many practices that are generally applicable. Uh, for our listeners, they'll, they've heard another of our guests uh, when asked which framework they find most useful in their consulting practice uh, in, uh, in advising their global clients on how to build a responsible governance system. Your framework was the first and only that they mentioned as, as their top resource that they go to. Uh, and likewise, uh, the Equal AI and the World Economic Forum are about to launch a badge program for senior executives to learn about responsible AI governance. And just really was struck by how much of what you wrote for government and other entities really could be uh, directly applicable to those throughout industry. And I'm curious, which of those principles do you think are most applicable uh, in, in industry agnostic? Uh, the short answer is all of the above. Um, you know, we, we, you know, to what Steve mentioned, we did invite industry uh, participant in the expert panel discussion, and those uh, insights were very helpful from a practitioner's point of view. And, and we know, you know, for the federal government, uh, there are oftentimes AI solutions that are procure AI solutions that require contractors to code them. Uh, so this is where, you know, for example, when we were earlier on in the development of this framework, we posed a number of hypothetical uh, questions to many of the big name industry players. You know, if an agency were to hypothetically procure, let's say, a computer vision algorithm in some sort of uh, software marketplace, and then subsequently adapt that computer vision algorithm uh, to you know, serve a particular mission needs. And then it was discovered that that solution was actually um, you know, uh, discriminatory or, or some other sort of biased way. Uh, where is the line of that accountability? You know, where is that line of responsibilities? And so that was a nice way for us to really tease out, is there some analogous practices that we can actually learn from the industries themselves? Um, you know, some players certainly have very robust approach to, let's say, model card. Uh, let's say, you know, uh, how their ethical organization actually have a a very influential role in the product lifecycle development. And others take a more of a sort of advisory approach, right? So uh, it was from our perspective was uneven, even within the industry, how this conversation was being had. Uh, but it was super helpful in having those uh, perspective incorporated in this accountability framework as well, uh, because I think the industry will continue to play a very important role in how federal government is pushing all the AI implementations out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, 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 we intend for this accountability framework to co-evolve as the technology themselves are evolving. Fantastic. And, and, and this is um, making me want to take a step back, you know, hearing you talk through this talk and Stephen, and I say this, Miriam and I both uh, have been in government, uh, have, have civil service backgrounds. Um, you don't sound like government people when you talk about this stuff. You sound like, you know, we're hearing agency-wide innovation and transformation and, and external engagement. Um, this, 
sounds really innovative for government. And I'm curious, you know, how have you both ended up uh, in the GAO bringing these kind of innovative approaches to government? What, what led you to the positions that you're in now? And, and, um, and, 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 and yeah, kind of where are we in this, in this process of government itself becoming more literate, more forward-leaning on, on innovation, on technology, uh, and, and on governance? I think Taka and I are both very intentional when it comes to innovation, and, and you've, you've picked up on that. Um, I've, uh, you know, had exposure to human-centered design and design thinking. I've, I've um, gotten my staff trained up on uh, those uh, 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 methods and, and concepts. Certainly when you're talking about foresight, the work we do through the Center for Strategic Foresight at GAO and the emphasis the agency uh, places on foresight, puts us in a position of, of looking ahead, looking forward and uh, thinking about the future and thinking about new ways to do things. And that's really what, what I'm doing and that's what my office is doing. Um, Taka brings a whole set of uh, things he'll talk about here in a second. But I, I think you, you've latched on to something important, which is we need to have these innovative conversations in government. Uh, we need people to come into government who've had um, exposure in um, other sectors. Uh, I've worked uh, in both government and non-government prior to GAO, so I'm bringing that perspective. I'm bringing that perspective in the diversity of the people I hire and the types of uh, experiences they have and where they've worked and um, and so forth. So this all needs to be intentional and it needs to be worked on um, uh, with, with, with focus and, and needs to be sustained. And the result is, is what you see. It's an innovative product like what we've developed here, which is kind of the first of its kind, uh, you know, groundbreaking uh, a framework that doesn't exist elsewhere in, in federal government right now. So you know, we're glad to be leading the charge on, on innovation uh, at GAO. And, and Foresight's just one of the components. Uh, you know, Taco's got a whole bunch of, of things he's working on. Yeah, I mean, what really attracted me to GAO is the agency's desire to pivot itself from purely an audit organization to more of a knowledge transfer organization. I mentioned GAO's really unique mandate of pan-governmental purview. As a data scientist, the candy store doesn't get bigger than GAO, right? So it, it's super exciting to me when it comes to just a variety of accountability challenges that are just so paramount for the federal government to get it right. Improper payment is a good example of that, right? We're, we're now a trillion dollar or, or more and counting uh, when it comes to the amount of improper payments that over the past decade or so, you know, government has been sort of uh, really challenged to deal with. And so that is the kind of problem that you don't really have a lot of opportunity to sort of get exposed and, and, and really a chance to try to make a difference anywhere else other than GAO. Uh, so when GAO talks about innovation, it's not just a marketing slogan for us. We're putting the resources behind it. We're taking a very, you know, to Stephen's point, very deliberate and purposeful approach. I mean, at the end of the day, GAO is an agency full of professional skeptics, right? So for us to drive innovation, it has to really achieve a certain level of criteria, a certain level of provability. Uh, so we certainly err on the side of don't tell me, but show me kind of conversation. Uh, and, and last point, I'll just add, 
it is so important for the oversight bodies like GAO to make sure that we actually have that computational ability to evaluate emerging technology so that we're not just reading the user manual, we're not just interviewing subject matter expert, that we can actually empirically evaluate. And that is so foundational to the concept of evidence-based policy making. Uh, so we're in this um, very significant modernization effort to make sure that GAO you know, has been successful for the past 100 years, but continues to remain relevant in the next 100 years. Well, so give us a glimpse into some of those next 100 years. As you rewrite the rules on what government does and, and innovate, what's next for, the, for you both uh, it, with the framework? Will there be new iterations? What should we see next in the, expect to see next, look forward to uh, for the GAO and AI innovation? Yeah, before GEO as an agency, the, the whole reason why the Innovation Lab exists is really to explore how, uh, whether it's AI, whether it's blockchain, whether it's cloud services, whether it's you know, a number of other emerging technology can be applied to serve the oversight functions better, right? Um, but it also addresses the interesting duality that we will be called upon to audit these things. So how do we figure out the inner mechanics of something like a blockchain, inner mechanics of something like our, uh, augmented reality? Um, so there are, you know, I think this AI accountability framework is one of many other stakes in the ground that we will have around a, just a spectrum of emerging technologies. Uh, I'll give you an example, you know, now that we are reimagining a post-pandemic operations, how could our uh, augmented reality play a role in the side visits that GAO uh, routinely perform? Uh, we probably will not be sending a team of 20, but we might be comfortable sending a team of one or two. So how can we use augmented reality to sort of really supplement that process? And so that's much more of an immediate area. Uh, we have work around blockchain to say beyond cryptocurrency, what are some of the, um, the characteristics of blockchain that can really accelerate how federal government delivers its mission? Uh, we have a partnership with fiscal service to look at grants management application of blockchain. Uh, they were able to cut down a 14-month financial reporting cycle down to one day. That is a tremendous opportunity for us to improve the government, uh, but we want to make sure that we do so, again, purposefully, deliberately, in a way that meets the kind of accountability challenges that the federal government itself needs to model after, uh, so that these these implementations are not done haphazardly and then without sort of a accountability uh, thought process behind it. So uh, you know, it, it, it's never a dull day here at GAO, and you know, certainly are you know, looking forward to collaborating with Stephen and other parts of GAO to really drive that capabilities forward. I think in our office, Miriam, uh, obviously. AI is an important component of what we do and the partnership that we've had with uh, Taka and his team. But also when we do foresight in my office, it's a, a full spectrum activity across um, all domains. Uh, so that includes everything from education to national security to uh, the environment and the workforce. Uh, so we are right now as an agency gearing up to release our next uh, strategic plan for GAO in February of uh, 2022. Uh, we are working across GAO to develop uh, uh, 12 trend papers that are uh, defining what are major trends affecting government and society. And, and under the umbrella of the Center for Strategic Foresight in the coming uh, months and into next year, we'll be uh, holding programs um, around those trends and exploring those trends in, in more detail. 
Uh, so not just in the technology sphere, but also um, across all those areas of operations and government and society that, that GAO analysts are asked to, uh, to do work in. So it's a really exciting time at GAO. Uh, we face, uh, as a country and as a government, a lot of uh, multi-sector uh, and, and uh, uh, cross-cutting challenges that require a different type of thinking, coming back to Mark's question about innovation. And uh, so that's, that's something we're definitely uh, focused on as a team. Well, I think uh, you deserve so much credit, both of you. We really want to commend you on the significant accomplishment of this framework and for making government sound cool. I mean, augmented reality, blockchain innovation. Um, it, this is certainly not uh, the misperception of what people think of as, as government. Uh, I think Mark and I both have had lots of innovative, exciting conversations, but you all are bringing it to the next level and sharing it with the public. So thank you for that. But before we let you go, one question we like to ask our guests in a lightning round is thinking about what they're excited about, uh, concerned about, and looking forward to on the horizon. So what is your rose? What are you happy about? What is your thorn fearful of? And Bud, what are you looking forward to across the horizon for AI? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, we want to make sure that oversight and the sort of implementation from the executive agency are not necessarily adversarial because we both play in the same uh, vision and, and goal, which is to make government work better. And that is something I'm, I'm quite excited in where GAO doesn't view itself as just a uh, sort of retrospective agency come in after the fact to tell what agency has, you know, potentially recommendations to make. We want to be at the table. We want to be part of the solution to more prospectively help address many of these challenges. And that's something that I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. Miriam, so I'll, I'll do uh, the lightning round there. Uh, my rose, uh, what I'm happy about, uh, that we're having the conversation. Uh, you know, back in 2017, when we worked on our previous strategic plan at GAO and first identified uh, with uh, the science and technology team at GAO, AI as an emerging issue, to be now, you know, five years later, uh, almost having this conversation, I think uh, really uh, makes me happy uh, and, and that the conversation is happening elsewhere in, in government. Um, in terms of, um, you know, things to be concerned about, the thorn, uh, just that uh, AI could be uh, taken for granted without the proper oversight, right? Getting back to the inspiration for, for why we did this work at GAO, um, that we, we can't, as, as Taka said, we can't set it and forget it and, and have these systems without continuous monitoring and, and accountability frameworks in place to to work on them. So uh, I, I really you know hope that that uh, doesn't happen. Um, then what's promising and, and what I look for in the future, that the bud would be hoping lots of folks in positions to evaluate AI, take up the framework and apply it in their work and that um, it uh, has benefits moving forward. Well, thank you both. This has been such an enlightening conversation and uh, I think uh, you have such a significant accomplishment. I hope all of our listeners will check out the framework and really wanna thank you both for taking the time to talk with us today. Very much a pleasure. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. 
subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 